Our guest today, Wendell Clark, one of the most popular Leafs in franchise history, the man they call Captain Crunch, Joe Tilly Sports, coming up! Well, welcome once again to the Joe Tilly Sports Show. I'm Joe Tilly in Newcastle, Ontario. Our guest today, well, we've got another amazing show for you folks. This gentleman was a star defenseman with a Canadian team that captured a gold medal for the World Juniors in 1985. He was the first pick overall by the Maple Leafs in the 85 draft, made the all-rookie team. 793 games in the NHL over a 15-year career, 13 with the Maple Leafs, 330 goals, 234 assists, 564 points, 1,690 penalty minutes, an all-star winger with 43 game-winning goals, Captain Crunch, ladies and gentlemen, Wendell Clark. Welcome to the program, Wendell. Glad to have you here, my friend. Good to be Listen, Wendell, okay, so we just mentioned that in in, in, uh, in 85, you're drafted by the Maple Leafs after playing your junior career as a defenseman. Who made the decision to, to convert you to, to, a, to a left winger? Um, it must have been a management decision. I, I came to training camp, uh, you know, a lot less talk back then with players and uh, showed up at camp, looked on the door, and it said left wing with Russ Cortland and Gary Lehman. That's how I found out I was a forward for sure. And... Uh, so it probably was uh, Jerry McNamara and the, the, the management, and they, they decided to make me forward after probably watch. I played the three games I played forward. I played in World Juniors. I played forward half the tournament, and that was the first time I'd played forward. Tell us about that gold medal winning team with the uh, World Juniors. Yeah, we uh, a team put together, and we carried uh, – basically, I thought I was getting cut. At the end of training camp, uh, you get that 7 a.m. phone call, and you're either going – if you get the 7 a.m. phone call, you're you got cut and you're going home. And I got called in to Terry Simpson, Sherry Bass, and uh, and and thought I was going home. And they said, "We we want you to come on the team, but you might be playing some forward. If if you agree to that, we'll take you." And I said, well, "I'll definitely agree to that as long as I'm not going back to Saskatoon. I'm going to <laughs> Finland. I'll I'll uh, I'll play wherever you want." Um, so actually, John Miner of the Regina Pats and myself both agreed to play forward in defense. On the team, in case somebody got hurt in 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 the tournament or in extra games, they always knew they had enough defensemen. And actually, I think Dave Gertz from the Prince Albert Raiders got hurt uh, in an exhibition game over in Finland, broke his leg, and so it was lucky that we took extra defensemen. Yeah, because at the draft, so at least have the first pick overall. The drafts in Toronto at the Metro Convention Center—that's pretty bloody exciting. Did you have any idea be, beforehand that you were going to get drafted first overall? Because the talk was that Craig Simpson might be going first. Didn't have a hundred percent. You know, you're, I knew I was top three, and 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 that's all. Nobody tipped their hand, and the least didn't tip their hand to me. Uh, maybe other people may have known, but I didn't know um, until the actual. Uh, the name was called. That's when I first found out that uh, I was I was drafted as a Leaf. So um, nobody tipped their hand, did all the interviews, and uh, they left it at that and waited till that morning to see where I went. 
And how did that feel to pull on a Maple Leafs jersey? I know things were a little crazy in Leafland back then, but it must have been exciting for you. Yeah, no, it was uh, It's always fun. And it probably made it really fun as the draft was in Toronto and that got the relationship going right away with the fans and everything being that the draft had moved out of Montreal and into Toronto and it was in the convention center. And and uh, I, I had the least nervousness because I, I got drafted first. I didn't have to wait like anybody else uh, down the line, but it uh, was definitely an exciting time. And to have it, it basically a home draft uh, was awesome. So you mentioned that you uh, you found out you were a left winger when you saw the the, uh, the roster posted and your position on the line that the hound line with you you and uh, with you and Lehman and Courtnell, uh pretty speedy line team with a lot of skill that must be exciting you guys had a pretty pretty damn good year yeah actually we we had a great team that 85 86 86 80 you know 85 86 86 87 we you know we'd lost the second round in the Campbell Conference uh, finals all the time. Uh, for a team that just barely squeaked in the playoffs, and if you could have kept that team together with some with some hierarchy above us, I think you had a great. I always tell people we had as much talent on that 85-86 team as we did on our 92-93 team, minus uh, the Dougie Gilmore 100 and some points, right? So, you know, we had you know Stevie Thomas scoring 30, uh, Squid scoring 30, and Russ and Russ in high 20s, Gary in the 20s. We we had a lot of skill, and our defense were all just learning and. Both our goalies, Kenny and Alan, were, were 20 years old. We had uh, we had a team they had a chance to grow together if you could have kept it together and, and give it some uh, direction. Now, uh, we're watching some of your scraps here. Uh, the, uh, you played a very tough game, very physical game. How did uh, growing up on the farm in Kelvington, Saskatchewan, prepare you for the NHL? I, I think it just, uh, you, you know, you, you, you show up and you work every day. You're going to have good days and bad days, but you just – you do that. It, it kind of teaches you a process, I think, when you grow up on a farm, because it all just doesn't happen right away. And you do a lot of jobs in the farm that you don't like and other jobs you do like. And and so it's a, a real thing. I think when you're getting to play professional hockey, there's going to be days that are no fun and days that don't go well. But then there's days that it's uh, the best thing you've ever done. So I think, uh, you, you know, it was great growing up and the, the work ethic and it just doesn't, you know, you just don't flick a switch and it works. And I think farming uh, growing up in that farming atmosphere fear taught you a lot. Okay, so now 34 goals as a rookie, uh, 227 penalty minutes. Uh, now, a lot of us in Toronto thought that maybe there was an anti-Toronto uh, bias, in fact, that you didn't win the Calder Trophy, but uh, a guy named Gary Souter had a pretty good season for Calgary, so he, he, he was given the nod, but uh, a lot of us thought you should win. What, what are your thoughts on, on not getting the Calder? Uh, no, it was uh, actually, I was, uh, you know, nervous and yeah, Gary had a heck of a year. I think he had 70, 78 points or 80 points uh, playing with Al McGinnis and that great team in Cowboy. Yeah. And he came out as a little older, more mature out of college and he was a great hockey player. So yeah, I, there's no qualms about it. I just, I just remember after the, the banquet, uh, the award ceremony and I didn't get it. John Ferguson walked over to me with a tuxedo in the, when we were at the uh, at the event, <laughs> punched me right in the chest. It was like my fault that I didn't get it. So I, I thought I was going to get beat up by John Ferguson for not winning. <laughs> so wh why would it be Ferguson's fault that you didn't get it? Well, jo John just was mad that I didn't get it. So he was he was typical, you know, Fergie being the tough guy. He was just saying, "What do you? How come you didn't get it?" <laughs> 
just in chit chat. Well, because you're was, his uh, kind of player, no fun. doubt about it. Yeah, I was that type of player. How Fergie played yeah. and all that, but it, and he probably hated Calgary at the time anyway. The battles between Winnipeg and Calgary, and they'd always seem to lose out in seven to Calgary or something before they couldn't move on. So right. uh, a lot of animosity going that way as well. Well, you probably had more Gordie Howe hat tricks than anybody I can I can recall. Maybe maybe the most of all time. Uh, so that you you. Um, you had some legendary tilts. I mean, you played a physical style. You had that amazing wrist shot. I mean, one of the best wrist shots in the game. And, uh, and, and you, uh, you, you know, speeding down the wing. And, and of course, you weren't afraid to drop the, the mitts. You had some legendary tilts. There was Bob Probert, uh, Marty McSorley, of course, uh, Rick Tockett. Now, this is, this is probably, I'm ranking this right up there with maybe Hagler Hearns as one of the best fights of <laughs> 10 minutes or less in, in the history of fights. That <laughs> was what well, was an absolute war, but it was crazy at the end. What was Rick talking doing with that sledgehammer thing on the on your head at the end of that? Uh... <laughs> no, it's a, you know what that was a, in that and that fight was in overtime. Uh, that was a, that was um, at the end of the game because yeah. I come around the net and hit Mark Howe, and you know Mark Howe would have been one of the untouchable guys, it'd be in probably top two or three yeah. defensemen in the league, especially at that time, right? And so he. And so I had my gloves off already, and I thought the first two or three guys that were coming were going to fight, and they didn't. And then all of a sudden, I was bent over picking the gloves off, and here comes talk. And and then it was a goal. And then you had two, you had two five foot eleven guys going going at it, and neither one of us smart enough to stop punching. I think we both kept switching hands. So it was a, it was it was an exciting tilt that everybody and and Rick would have had fun doing it because he's back in his hometown in Toronto, probably. Uh, so all his right. Scarborough buddies would have been there watching. So it would have been an awesome, awesome, uh, exciting time for the building. Yeah, that was that was a, that was I mean that was nasty, wicked. Tell me who's who's the toughest guy you ever fought? This actually this is a question of a viewer named Gord who wants to know who's a, the toughest guy. Yeah, you, ever you know what there there is no toughest because you know every like you go to Rick Talk and yeah, Dave Brown in Philly and Probert and Kosher in Detroit and you go every team back then had two to three guys. Uh, but I always say the meanest guy ever was Ben Wilson in Chicago. He he just soon spear you in the face as uh, you know he scared more people in the league because he that that's how he played eight years. He he scared the the Dickens out of the league and that that's how he lasted. It wasn't because of talent. It was because of how tough he was. And then uh, my first two fights in the NHL ever were Marty McSorley. Uh, he's another guy who didn't read that I went first overall. I wasn't going for the tough guy. Tom. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so that was my rookie season against Edmonton was the first two fights. And then, but you know, the, it, when I go all time toughness and it isn't always to do with fighting is I always give it to probably Proby because here's a guy at 36. He was still fighting the next heavyweight at 20 that was coming into the league and Proby being the guy that, you know, he, everybody looked to because he looked like the prototypical league heavyweight with, you know, half his teeth missing and his sweater didn't fit and, he just looked like the heavyweight. So he, he kept, you know, fighting those 20 year olds and he was 36. You know, that's a whole set of mental toughness right there. So I, I you know, probably had a, a level of mental toughness when he was still going at those young kids. Yeah, he was, he was legendary. No, no doubt about that. Of course, the McSorley fight, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, after McSorley hit, had hit Doug Gilmore with that vicious check. This is in the playoffs, you know, this is a, a huge game. And I think, I don't know. You had three goals in that game too. I mean, what a what a game for you! You had three goals. You had the scrap with McSorley, and the only bummer was that Kerry Fraser somehow missed uh, uh, an obvious high sticking call in Doug yeah. Gilmore in, in overtime. Or otherwise, you guys are 
are winning this series. But here's that here's that Gilmore hit, and then the uh, subsequent yeah, no. with uh, with Marty. Yeah, no, Marty. That was game one, and Marty, you know, he was probably setting a setting a thing, going, "We're not out of this because I think we were going to win the game by then handily." And then um, earlier in the playoffs, we had played Detroit, and we were down early, two games, and I wasn't in a fight yet, and nothing had started, and it looked like Detroit was going to win, and I was taking a lot of heat for not fighting and not trying to change something, and nobody knows this, but Pat Burns before the series started against Detroit said, "You are not to fight Probert no matter what happens." No fighting Probert. And then, so that goes through and it worked. We end up winning the series and we come back and win the series. And then all I know is that when Dougie got hit, I remember Pat Burns didn't say I couldn't fight Marty. And so then that was uh, yeah, the big tilt right. and kind of set off that whole game one, set off the atmosphere for that seven game series. And about 20 years later, I figured out if I was any smarter, uh, Marty went at our best player and hit Dougie. I should have just skated over the bench and punched Gretzky. Because Gretzky's yeah, a guy right by there. game seven that had five points, right? So uh, if he went at our best guy, right. I should have just went at their best. Yeah, well, that was you had you had an amazing series in that. I think you had, uh, in, in actually, you had a great playoff that year. I think you had 20, uh, 20 points, 10 goals, 10 assists in, in 21 games. And, and uh, of course, the fight with McSorley, an incredible, uh, that was an unbelievable series. And, you know, again, I reiterate, if it wasn't for the, the non-call on, on Gilmore in game six, then, then the Leafs were winning that series and things are a little bit different. But you talked a little bit about, uh, um, well, actually, you talked a little bit about Pat Burns and I wanted to go through a list of some of the coaches you had because, you know, you went from, uh, you, you're all over the gamut here. You, you started your career under Dan Maloney. So give us, I'm going to give you the list of coaches. So just give me your thoughts on the coach, maybe a quick story if you learned it and what you learned from that coach, if anything. So let's start with Dan Maloney. Sure. Well, Dan was actually, you know, people don't realize he basically just retired a year before or two years before. He was just getting into coaching and and then he had the contract swabble at the end of our second year, to, you know, whether he wanted a $5,000 raise or whatever, and Harold wouldn't give it to him. And he, he went on to Winnipeg and actually did a good job coaching in Winnipeg. And so uh, Dan was a tough guy. And even as a coach, you know, you, you feared him and he was a, as big a competitor as anybody. But I think he was just learning uh, you know, the coaching job, you know, you come out as a player and now you're two, you're going into your third year and uh, Harold let you go and you went on to Winnipeg and had a good couple of years, three years or something coaching there. So he was somebody that was just growing in the position as when he was coaching Lee's when he got let go. Okay. So then uh, Dan's gone. He's gone to Winnipeg for, because he couldn't get the $5,000 raise. And so John Brophy steps in and there's uh, there's, a bit of a change, but uh, certainly a different philosophy, I think, overall. What do you say about Brove? Yeah, Brove is probably one of the honest, most honest guys you would have ever played for, whether you're a finesse guy or a tough guy. Um, he, he let, he, he, his shirt sleeve was how he, he showed you right off the bat, but he was probably the toughest hombre out of anybody ever. Uh, probably why he was a career, career minor league guy. He loved the game. Nobody loved the game more than Brove, uh, but it was just one dimensional. He was going to, you were going to outwork, out beat up, out skate, out practice. Everything was at 100%. And 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 so th that was Brofe. Everything you did, even from day one of training camp, I think that Brofe's first year uh, coaching, um, we are in exhibition season. I think we dressed our lineup every single game in exhibition. We didn't even practice anybody else. We just dressed the lineup starting in exhibition. <clears throat> 
So no, nobody ever got out of the press box and onto the ice, ever? No, ever. It was just right with the lineup. He was so, going to win every time. Well, give us a good bro story. I mean, there, there must be one that sticks out for you. Yeah, well, there's tons of tons of bro stories and, and toughness. I remember, I think we were losing a game in, in L.A. pretty bad, and it was a, probably a Saturday night game, so it had been across the world. And uh, he walked out. The coaches used to cut through and walk under the stands to come out on the bench so he didn't have to walk around the whole rink to get on the bench. And he cut his head open in the second period, and he wouldn't go get stitches. And so I don't know if you remember the blood running down his white hair dripping on his sports jacket, and he wouldn't. And so all the camera kept showing him was this blood running down the white hair. And, and uh, then he went back after and sat in the trainer's room. The doctor says, okay, we're going to freeze it up. He says, you're not freezing it. Just start stitching. He sat there, no stitches. And so an hour after you cut it, you go and get stitches. And that's toughness. Like, like the pain level he could handle. Um, he was getting his head stitched an hour later with no, no freezing. Yeah, he was, he was old school, but you know what? I, I know that he, he got a lot out of you guys because he was a good, pretty good motivator. I know uh, Smitty likes to talk about that fact. Yeah. Yeah. So next we got, uh, okay, George Armstrong was there for a brief period of time. What was it like playing for Army? Well, the chief, that you know, you look at the last guy that won all the cups. He coached the Memorial Cup, and he was basically thrown in the job. I think Harold said, if you don't coach, you're fired. So he's, he's basically coming in just filling time, right? Like you, you haven't been on the ice or doing anything. And, you know, there's probably no better uh, guy respected, I, I think, at that time, especially we all knew who won the last Cups and the Chief was a captain. And he, he, he really commands the room when he talks, whether he's being funny or whether it's a serious conversation. Uh, the one thing about Chief and probably one of the most respected guys in the guys' world of hockey, uh, just by how he carried himself. So I can see why he was a captain of those 67 teams. Uh, he was a great one for sure. What about uh, Doug Carpenter? Doug came in in a situation and, and tried to uh, – we, we, I think we had the, what, the most points uh, stats-wise. You know, Gary scored 50. Eddie Olchuk had 90-some points. Daniel Merwa had a great year. Damfus had 90. We were winning or losing every game 7-6. So it was an exciting team to watch, uh, but we, we, we didn't really make the next step. Uh, I think that's right when I was having my knee injuries. I think I was even on a 40-goal pace. I think I, I only played 40 games that one or those two years uh, each year because I blew out one knee one year and one knee the next year. And and so that was uh, just out of the playoffs. Or maybe do we have one round against St. Louis in those two years, I think? So the team that, that scored a lot but didn't didn't win a lot. Okay. What yeah. about uh, Tom Watt? Tom Watt is your typical, you know, very uh, nice, honest school teacher uh, process. So we had a lot of like today's teaching and Blackboard and stats and all the stuff that guys do even more today. But we all had to do it long form with uh, VHS tapes and Blackboard. And but but Tom, uh, you know, he was a coach and coached everywhere, whether it be Toronto, Winnipeg, I think Vancouver. Um, he was a real student of the game and understood the game and is still in the game today. I don't know. Uh, he, he just loves it. He's a lifer and, and uh, he watches the game from many different aspects, uh, but very honest. And, and uh, if you worked hard, he, he, uh, he, he liked you as a player. Yeah, started his career, I think, at the University of Toronto. Had a great success with, uh, yeah. with the Blues just, there. Just behind, um, is he just uh, ahead of Mike Keenan or just behind Mike? Yeah, just behind Keenan, yeah. Um, so, uh, Pat Burns. 
Burns, he come in, uh, that tough cop out of Montreal, um, and uh, he was laying down the law early, especially to a lot of us veteran guys that were there in Toronto before, like uh, uh, Todd Gill, myself, uh, if, no, Alfie was gone. Um, but really, I think it was Giller and I, probably the two uh, guys that were there the longest, and then uh, Pat come in, and he, he made it hard to try to get everybody to buy in uh, and, and, and he got it. And, we, and he had our whole team buy in. When, with uh, Bernsey coming in, uh, when Cliff Fletcher came in, he really changed the, the culture and the few of the deals he made in, in getting uh, Dougie and the guys from Calgary. And you traded Damfus for Fuhr, who ends up going to Buffalo for Andrew Chuck. And you get Potvin comes up as a rookie. Fuhr, he made all those moves, and Bernsey put the pieces together. And a lot of times uh, probably made all of us – uh, not like Burnsy, uh, but he, that's how he had us pulled together as a team. We had a very tight team for those two years, and a lot of it was Burnsy uh, and how he handled us. And at the time, all of us being young 20-year-olds weren't probably happy with it, but when you think back later, you understand what he was doing. You were unified in your dislike against Pat Burns. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. It was It was a love-hate because Burnsy was – He'd have loved to have been a player, like because he acted like a player as a coach. All the guys that knew Burns, he had as much fun as anybody. But he really, uh, you know, he brought the team together. Those, those those two years that you know, that's as tight a team as I I played on. So I can only imagine what it's like to win the cup because uh, we had tight teams in those two years. Yeah, and it, yeah, should have won the cup. Should have, could have won. And and of course, uh, Pat Quinn. Quinter, he was a, he was probably one of the nicest guys uh, that you'll ever meet, and everybody always thought he was uh, from the outside. Of the game was the big, tough, gruff guy because nobody looked bigger and tougher behind the bench than Quinn did, and and uh, probably one of the most softest spoken guys, a real players coach. And and I, I remember when I finished my career and and seeing the guys and some of the guys would be humming and hawing. I go, you don't realize he's on your guys' side all the time. Like he he's got your back. So the players really played for Pat. Uh, because of his honesty and he loved being he was a player himself and and uh, maybe about twice a year when he did get mad the team knew it because he that wasn't really his personality and his his uh he was always behind his players he, he was 100 percent sticking up for his team and those teams under uh matt sundin with curtis joseph and that 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 they played very well they were very tight and very close to to almost getting there as well yeah, you mentioned that he, you know, he played. He played for the Leafs, and and, and uh, so he knew what it was like to play for the Leafs as well. And you know, you you played in a few different places. What what's what's it like playing in Toronto versus some of those other cities? And and, and what kind of extra pressure is there? Uh, well, the pressure is that your game is on, uh, so it's twenty four seven from the day training camp starts. The, the light switch goes on, and it doesn't go off until the season ends, whenever that may be, and then it starts up again. Uh, right away, and, and where if you get to play in Tampa or Arizona or something, uh, the the switch doesn't go on till game time. Uh, that's when you feel pressure, um, or and it's really not pressure. That's what you you live for to play the games and and play in that situation. But in Toronto, it's talked about, and you're living it right right from the day of camp. It's twenty four seven every day as a player. You're dealing with it. Where if, when I played in Tampa, as soon as you walked outside the rink and crossed the road, you, you're out of uh, hockey atmosphere. Nobody knows who you are. You go walk down the street there. Everything's good. It's, That's it's it. A completely different ballgame. Okay, so Paul and other viewers asked, uh, what was your most memorable season? And why was that? Um, obviously, the, you know, the 90s going to the semifinals is memorable. But I always tell people my most fun year 
I never got to win a cup. But your most fun year is that my my 18 year old year. I started out, you know, you're playing in Saskatoon. Uh, tried out for the World Junior team. We won the gold medal with the World Juniors. Got drafted the Toronto Maple Leafs first, and then played in the NHL. So all those things happened in that eight when I was 18 years old. Your calendar year, not necessarily one year with the Leafs, but that calendar year. Um, going from junior hockey to the NHL through the World Juniors as an 18-year-old, all in one year. There's probably it's just a blur. There's nothing better than than that as an 18-year-old kid. Okay, so uh, you you mentioned earlier that you you know it, the, there was a big shift when when Cliff Fletcher came in to run the organization. Tell us a little bit about uh, about what it was like before that and and the chaos that sort of ensued before that and, and how you guys dealt with that. Yeah, well, as a player, you, you, if you want to last, and Borea Salman is probably the best at it. He lived through the, the 70s in their great, in the, the, you know, 76, 78, and then into the 80s when I got there. And, and you just, as a player, you just, you just play on the ice. All you can do is handle what happens in the rink, your dressing room, and on the ice. That's all you can handle. You can't worry about the outside stuff as a player. You get caught up in it, and then you're in and out and gone and frustrated. But, we, we, you know, under Harold, it was his team. He could do what he wanted. And it wasn't that he was a bad guy. Personally, he liked the players got along with him great in, in a lot of instances. But then he would, because he owned the team, he could do what he wanted. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you felt bad for, you know, Jerry McNamara or, or Gordy Stellick that had to make hockey decisions and they had to make it sound like Harold made the decision. They couldn't make it or they had to go jump hoops to make a decision. So they had a tough time making decisions. And the, the one thing when Cliff Fletcher came in and here's a veteran guy that won the cup, he'd done the job well in every other city so he come in with the power and he had car blanche on, on what to do and 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 so he could do things and he could do it with the confidence i always said the guys that did well in toronto uh back then were you know the veteran guys uh the, the cliff fletchers the pat quinn's the pat burns's guys that had been around and didn't listen to the noise on the outside because there's a lot of noise that goes on in a canadian city and and as a coach or a manager you have to be able to take the noise and still make your decision. doesn't matter what it is. You have to do what you think is right. Well, and, and doing what you think right is always not necessarily right, but on doing what you think right doesn't always go over very well with the fans, like the time when they at least decided they were going to trade Wendell Clark. I mean, they got a pr pretty good player back in, in Matt Sundin, but what was it like to be to be traded by, uh, you know, the team that you, you basically bled blue for? Yeah, no, it was, uh, I, I got traded right there at the draft. I, I didn't know I was getting traded right when there was no rumors. Probably the first time in four years, there was no rumors that I was getting traded. Uh, the best stats here I had. And uh, no cell phones back then, so nobody could get a hold of me on uh, what was going on. I was coming back from a Cheerios commercial I was shooting in Mississauga. I stopped at the Esso station out front of the old Molson Brewery on Front Street. Turned on the radio and I was filling the car up with gas to see who he drafted. And that's what I heard I got traded. So <laughs> that's how I found out. Wow. Um, but yeah, it wasn't in, in the big picture, it wasn't a bad deal. You got a, a Hall of Famer in Matt Sundin. So, you know, Quebec at the time was, they, they had an influx uh, in Quebec because they did the Lindros deal. So you had, you had Joe Sackick, Forsberg, Sundin, uh, Deadmarsh, Deadmarsh, and Ricci all under. 22 as number one centerman so they had an influx you know an abundance of number one centermen so they could sacrifice that and and add another piece and and toronto was looking at you know okay we're you know dougie's here now but down the road in a couple of years we need a guy up the middle 
to do what Dougie did, and that's how the, why they, they, you know, Cliff was looking at the next ten years kind of thing. So you went to a couple different spots, got a got a chance to to feel what it's like to to play outside of Toronto. How did you? What, what did you? What would, can you say about that experience? Well, it's it's great experience. You, you, you know, you're. I think I was Samsonite there for a while. Played in about five cities in in about three years. But you know, Quebec and the Islanders and Chicago and Tampa and Detroit. But you meet such great people in all the cities, whether it be the hockey guys or you know the staff and in different cities. So you. You really do experience it in different towns, and then you, you know, being I played 13 of my 15 years really in Toronto, um, it, it, that was always my favorite. And then, you know, Quebec was awful lot like like Toronto. It's just I didn't have to deal with the media. I couldn't speak French, and it was a, a French city even more than Montreal. So I had zero interviews after that because I didn't understand anything. So that was a great young talented team. They end up winning the cup in Colorado. Um, uh, Islanders reminded me of the time when I got to Toronto in the 80s. That's what Islanders were going through, that situation at the same time uh, with, the, with the management and all the stuff, the upheaval after they'd won all those cups. So it was in disarray. And then uh, Tampa was probably you know one of the most relaxing. Is when you're an aging player, I understand why they like to play in the South. Your body does feel better when it's 80 degrees every day. Whether it's mentally or physically, your body does feel better in Tampa than it does uh, maybe in Buffalo on a Tuesday morning. Right, a chance to golf pretty much every day of the year. It's, it's nice, it's nice. Um, but then you come back to Toronto. And what was it like, uh, you know, uh, getting coming back to the Leafs? What did it feel like coming back that second time? Well, it was huge. It was a very exciting. It didn't happen the next year because that year when I was in Quebec was the 40-game season. Uh, lockout year, so we never played Quebec. Never came into Toronto. Mm -hmm. That's when I traded. Got traded the Islanders, and came back. And it, I, like it was, uh, it was, you know, I, I realized that the visiting dressing room and the Leafs and the old gardens wasn't very good with that low roof and the temperatures. Like always, a hundred degrees in the dressing room, no air conditioning in the building. Uh, that was a B-side dressing room that, that we had in the visiting room, but it was uh, fun to come back into a building. Like you say, there's no no better shrine than the Maple Leaf Gardens to play hockey in, and, and uh, very fortunate to be able to play all my home games there. So, um, you you're the hockey's uh, in your blood. You've had uh, you know uh, your your cousin uh, Joey Kosher, Barry Melrose. Your dad played pro hockey, I believe. Uh, uh, what's uh, what 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 is it about the uh, you know the the the, <clears throat> the, the Kelvington, the, the Clarks, the, what is it about you guys? I, I don't know. It was just a – yeah, dad, dad went on and, and played a little bit in the minors and got hurt and come home and farmed and basically ran the rink um, and taught all the kids hockey. Uh, that's a, not, not that he coached the kids, but he basically ran all the practices, whether you were an Adam or Pee Wee or Bantam or Midget, and then ran the senior team and played. And he coached all the hockey, and then he'd have one of the parents coach the team. Um, for all the age levels so that everybody learned how to play hockey. And then from there, Barry Marles' dad was the same way. He ran the rink in town. Um, and, and so he was always a, a rink rat and around the rink. And so you looked up to Barry and Joy Kosher uh, grew up a very talented athlete and as tough as nails with my older brother. And they went on to play in Saskatoon Blades together and Joy went on to play. And so there's, uh, yeah, the, the, the Koshers, the Clarks, the Melroses, and then there was just a, a, a pile of kids that went on to play Tier 2 or college or something that nobody even knows about. But uh, it was a, a really athletic time coming through the town of Kelvington at that time. 
right? I, yeah, I didn't even mention Kerry, your brother, who played as well in, in pro hockey, and your brother Don, who's coached in, in major major junior hockey. So there, it's certainly definitely in, in the blood there. Um, injuries uh, in, in in your book, um, Bleeding Blue, you talked about your injuries, and uh, how how much of a factor was that? Like, uh, what happened? To, you know, your body seemed to break down as you uh, as you went along. Yeah, no, I, I played a physical style starting when I was about 10. Um, and, and so you just played through everything. And we had no training staffs or even the kids today. I watched my son who had, you know, he gets to see Chris Broders as a kid because I knew him working at his clinic. And so he's where we didn't see anybody until, you know, Chris Broders started working in 91, 90, 91 with the Leafs. And, and so you went through, and I, just not me, but all players went through a lot of stuff without proper uh, medical attention. You just played through stuff and then, you know, it was just all of a sudden at uh, 20, my body said, you know, that's it, you're back. And then uh, missed a year, you know, 100 games in a row I missed with the back and then came back and had two knee injuries, one after the other. Uh, so 40 games with each one kind of thing. And so there's that there's that four-year window there that missed a lot of hockey in the early 20s because of what I did to my body earlier. And a lot of people think it was this or it was that. And, and really it was just uh everything I, uh, that i did playing all the way up it wasn't didn't just start in the nhl it would have probably started as i was growing up and in, in how i played as well well you could have had a really long career wendell if you didn't play so damn hard <laughs> of course that's why the <laughs> i wasn't smart you. enough i kept um, running into bigger guys and didn't know to stop <laughs> yeah well yeah you know what the fans we loved you for it man in 2008 your number 17 is racing the to the the rafters at the ACC and uh, tell us about that experience and how, how did that feel? Uh, hugely honored. Anytime you know you're standing at center ice and uh, it's going up there and you know, you, you know Daryl Sittler's up there, Johnny Bauer, uh, all the guys. Uh, the history of the game is going to the roof, and uh, you know you're old when you're hanging from the roof for one thing. But uh, it really, yeah. you know, I got drafted to Toronto. I was fortunate to get the C to wear the C in Toronto, and then your number gets retired in Toronto. I, I always say that's like the hat trick in my playing career is, is when those three things kind of happened in my playing days. So to be up there and just be a part of that group is a huge honor. So when I, we we talked uh, off camera before you got on here, you're, and we I, uh, we talked about your son your son Cody, who was uh, played for the Ottawa 67s, drafted by the Capitals, and. And uh, what I wasn't aware of that you told us, uh, filled us in on, is that uh, Cody had COVID recently. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, late mid mid to late summer, he he got COVID. Uh, working out with a bunch of guys that got it, and uh, he it hit him pretty good. He was down solid for a week, and then probably felt the repercussions of it for about three weeks. And he's all back flying and doing well now. But it it he was so you know there's a young guy that. Uh, was in great shape and and playing along and and it did uh, did set him back a little bit so it, it's uh, it means business why we're all trying to do the right things um, when the young people can get it and then you know my daughter had it and she didn't uh, didn't flinch with it uh, knock on wood every I've been COVID tested so many times because the kids having it that uh, it never came into the house or anything uh, so I, I I've been good in the family the rest of the family's been good. Well, it certainly can. I mean, you know, your 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 son is testament to that. As you mentioned, he's laid up for a week. He was in pretty bad shape. So, I mean, it's not it's a, it's something that uh, definitely is out there. It's definitely real. We had Boria Salming. We talked to him not long ago, and he's he had it, and he felt he was going to die. I mean, there's a lot of people that 
are really suffering because of. So we got to take this thing seriously, which re reminds me that, you know, the, the NHL recently was talking about maybe a labor stoppage in the middle of the pandemic. What were your thoughts when you heard that kind of nonsense? <laughs> no, it's, it's a, like I say, everybody, well, it's a 50, 50 thing now with it. So they have to figure out a way to make it work. And, and, uh, it, it's uh, it's something where I think both sides just have to uh, figure it out. Uh, I, I think we want sports, I, you know, for all of us that aren't doing anything. And these guys, whether it be basketball or hockey or the football that's being played, it is giving people something uh, to do. So if the, if the athletes can do their thing and, and, and be re relatively really healthy with it all, it, it does help the rest of us withstand uh, what we're going through. It, it, it gives a little something, you know, and that, that does mean something. So it's I think it's good if the – the players and the owners get together and figure out a way that they can do it because it does provide some entertainment and some downtimes that we're we're dealing with it right now. Well, it it, it does sound like uh, you know that uh, you know sensibility is going to win out overall here because it, it sounds like we're going to get a season starting in mid January, and there's going to be uh, an all Canadian division. What do you think? What are your thoughts about that? What would you, would you have liked to play in an all Canadian division? I think it's awesome. I think the fans are going to love it. I, I, I think you're going to really get the rivalries going. I think the games, I think even as players, I know there won't be any fans, I'm, I'm guessing right away for sure. But uh, I think even as players, it's such a rivalry. It's too bad that the fans aren't aren't in the buildings because it's anytime, you know, you got to play in Montreal, you played in Ottawa, or I know Toronto playing in all the Canadian cities. That's where the greatest atmosphere was. That that was fun. Uh, you know, you you love to be playing at home where you loved. And you love playing on the road where you're hated sometimes because it just creates such great atmosphere to play in. Well, yeah, and you, you, there's a lot of cities you guys play in where there, there's at mm. least as many uh, Maple Leaf uh, jerseys, if not more, than, than the home team. It's kind of like when the Blue Jays play in Seattle, right? It's, it's the same That's right. Exactly. Seattle and Minnesota, the yeah. Jays got yeah. all the Canadian fans. Yeah, yeah, and you guys and at least have fans all across the country. So uh, speaking of the Leafs, uh, you know, they made – Quite a few changes in the offseason. I'm looking at uh, Travis Boyd, uh, Joe Thornton, Jimmy Vesey, Joey Anderson, Wayne Simmons on, up front. And on defense, TJ Brody, Zach Bogosian. Do you like the additions? Uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of it, you know, you look at it, we, you know, we had cap issues too because we paid a lot of guys a lot of money. And and so they added, you know, they added some toughness. They added some few players that have played and still want to prove themselves, which is actually a good thing. The, the, the VC and the guys that are coming in, they get to step in, and their line mates are pretty darn talented kids, right? You know, the, the Matthews's and the Marners and the Taveras's. You get some good line, you know, they're stepping into a good situation. I think they'll be able to show some stuff. Uh, Simmons is an older fellow now. He's a guy that, you know, he's played very hard, especially his best years were in Philly. And then, he, you know, was he Jersey and Buffalo? But, um, I think he can add a little bit to the room because of how he plays. Yeah, I was saying, he can add a little <laughs> yeah, bit. He's, yeah. he's longer in the tooth. Yeah. He's longer in the tooth, but in today's game, you don't have to do it that often anymore. But it's really about just adding yeah. a presence uh, to the room and the rink and the ice, and I think he can do that. Uh, Joe, I'm going to come back and play wing with Joe. We're the same age, aren't we? But uh, <laughs> Joe close. is probably the, the – he's it. You know, he's going to add the leadership – off the ice just not even by what he says i think just by what the players are here this is joe thornton hall of famer he how much he loves the game and how hard he plays at the game and what he he's somebody that will lead by example and it doesn't always have to be the best player on the ice because he's not going to be at that age but he's he's going to bring that that work ethic and team first 
and all the stuff that made him such a Hall of Fame player. He's going to bring that to our dressing room because our, our leaders are all young guys. We haven't won a playoff round yet. So I think that's something that they'll be able to feed off him a bit and 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 grow. So I, I like the additions because, it, you know, you can only do so much in the cap world. Now you, us, us outsiders would like to say and point fingers, do this, do that. But there's only so much you can do. And but I like the I like the people they added, and I think that's good. Well, yeah, the, the 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 consensus seemed to be from fans and and, and the prognosticators mm-hmm. alike is that the Leafs maybe could have used a little bit of grit and sandpaper the last few years, and they certainly got some of that now. So you're you're we're thinking that this might be helpful. There no, I, there's a couple of things here, Wendell. Uh, there's there, I want to mention there. There's a there's a harness horse named Captain Crunch. He he won the Cane Pace, the Breeders' Crown, the North America Cup, over a one a million and a half dollars. Did you have a piece of that horse by any chance, or is there, no? I can't believe there? I didn't have a piece of that horse. He's got a great name. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, eh? No kidding. Yeah, Charlie Reed, uh, one of the hardest guys, pointed that out to me when I mentioned we were going to have you on the show, so I figured I'd throw that in there. And then, yeah. um, I also want to – I will give you a chance to talk about about the business. I mean, uh, Wendell Clark Classic Grill and Bar, being there many times, food's really good. Tell us about uh, how things are going there. I guess it's is it takeout only in most of the restaurants right now? Yeah, most of it, other than Saskatoon right now, it's not takeout. Yeah, we're, we're uh, Saskatoon, Mississauga, Burlington, and uh, – in Oshawa and, and Burlington, is, I think is, is still able to serve a little bit. That's that's on the border there right now. But you know, we're just hanging in there at the play, like everybody uh, trying to do the right things till times change. And um, they've they've right. done a, a great job, and 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 the, all the franchisees have done done a great job keeping afloat and 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 still keeping the business going. Well, we want to just say to everybody who's watching, you know, support your local restaurants. Get up to Wendell Clark's. Get up to the other local restaurants. Make sure you can support them. And if you can't dine in those places, make sure you, you take out. Well, um, you know, Wendell, uh, we want to thank you for being on the show today. You were one of the most popular uh, players in Leafs history. I mean, you were a guy who played every shift. You played a real honest game. And and that's why fans were so happy to watch to, and so excited to watch you play and so sad when you left and so happy when you came back. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us. You know, as a guest on the on the uh, Joe Tilly Sports Show, we've got a force McClubbing for you. And I'd suggest you wait till spring to use it. Just might be a little nicer. Uh, and and uh, remember that we're all in this together. Thanks for joining us, Wendell. And uh, we got some more sports coming up, so including uh, a message from the president of the Raptors. So thanks, Wendell. And uh, Remember, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it. Thanks, Joe. See you. Promotional consideration provided by Clublink. Clublink. One membership, more golf. (laughs) Do you know why that happened? You didn't fix your ball mark. The birds around here are very protective of the course, and when people don't take care of it, this is what happens. It's pretty simple. Just find your mark, fix it, and at least one other. Hey, look at the bright side. We're not up on the northern course. They've got bears and moose. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, 
Reuniting Families, the only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com. Also, check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round and go to freescratch.ca for your chance to win a new fabulous prize every day with COSA. Time now for our weekly sports analytics segment. Here's Kwame Bryan. Hi, my name is Kwame. I'm a developer ambassador here at Algorand, and it's a great honor to do the stats for the show. And you can see that there was a comparison between Wendell Clark and Austin Matthews, um, both in their rookie seasons. And there's only uh, one disparity, but mostly um, they're pretty much an even match. Uh, looking to hear your insight. Thanks a lot again for the opportunity, Joe. I'm waiting for our next assignment. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thanks, Kwame. Interesting that the least two former first overall picks both had an amazing wrist shot, scored a lot of goals, and uh, had more goals than assists. And, and it's an interesting comparison. I thought it was pretty good. All right. Time now for my COSA Swiss pick of the week. And uh, well, last week I took LMC Bumblebee in the final of the Harvest Series for three-year-old trotting fillies. James McDonald in the buggy. He had a lot of horse here, but unfortunately he got parked outside the entire race. She's wild and free with Sylvain Fillion driving for trainer Benoit Bayarjan. Went wire to wire, opening up a healthy lead at the, at the end. And LMC Bumblebee had to settle for third. My record on the way, uh, by the way, on the year is six wins, two seconds, six thirds. Four-fourths, two-fifths, and one-sixth. This week, I'm going to take the number four horse, So Not Cool, in Friday night's second race of Mohawks. So Not Cool makes his third start after a nine-month layoff. Closed nicely last time out, and he's won at this level before, so I like his chances here. Visit Costa TV on Facebook for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Go to freescratch.ca for your chance to win a fabulous prize every day. Okay, some other news and notes coming out of the sports world this week. Bayern Munich star Alfonso Davies, the 20-year-old from Edmonton, and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the offensive lineman who won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs, were named co-winners of the Lou Marsh Trophy as Canada's Athletes of the Year. Uh, Davies uh, had an unbelievable season. Uh, he won it all, a key factor in, in Bayern Munich winning both Bundesliga and Champions League. Um, Duvernay-Tardif, who's... Uh, a medical school grad took this year off to help out a long-term care facility during the pandemic. Now that is what I call dedication to, to, to life in general. Okay. Um, speaking of the NFL, um, Bill's doing pretty good after a 34, 24 win over San Francisco, Josh Allen passed for 375 yards, four TDs. Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be the MVP this season. 
but Allen is having an MVP-like campaign himself. Bills are home to the Steelers on Sunday night, and the Steelers are stinging after coming off their first loss of the season to Washington, no less. Uh, Pittsburgh has a few concerns on defense. I think the Bills are going to pull this pull this game off. Now, the Chiefs might get the home advantage all the way through the playoffs. I think that's what it's looking like right now, especially if the Bills can knock off the Steelers. And I think that's going to be your Super Bowl uh, winner. Uh, uh, stunned by the Giants knocking off Seattle. They're now tied for first with Washington in that god-awful NFC East. Uh, Taysom Hill remains undefeated since taking over from the injured Drew, Drew, uh, Drew Brees for the Saints. The Saints get the Eagles this week. The Saints have won nine straight games. The Eagles have dropped four in a row. I'm taking a Saints-Chiefs Super Bowl. And if I have to pick a winner at this point, I'm going to say, what the heck, let's go with the Chiefs to make it back-to-back. Uh, the Raptors start their preseason schedule this weekend. Uh, the season is less than two weeks away, COVID permitting, of course. Uh, three members of the Raptors organization have tested positive for COVID. Raptors president Masai Ujiri, co-founder of Giants of Africa, along with Ahmad Hussein, they recently had 35,000 students from 154 schools uh, virtually attending a youth summit in Nelson Mandela's honor uh, to consider their own humanity. Now, the theme and the message of this uh, session was we need to help and see each other. Let me ask you something. What does humanity mean to you? For me, it's about seeing each other. Really seeing. Trying to understand what someone else is going through. And helping if we can, even if it's just a kind word. Some encouragement. That's humanity. When we're born, we are innocent. Our eyes are open. We see each other as human beings, as equals. Deep inside, we know that we are part of something big, that we are meant to come together. It's who we are. It's what we are, one people. We build our homes and our communities. Join hands to create a world of comfort and peace where hope lives and opportunity breathes. Bias and injustice have no place in the world we want for our children. We reject entitlement. We choose empowerment. Our traditions are important. Our differences must be respected. I may not understand the song you sing, but I can listen. When we work to protect what the other person values, we reach our true potential as a people, as a planet. This is when we come together. This is when we win. Here is what I want. To reach a day when we see each other. Really see. The way we did when we first opened our eyes. Nothing in the way. No bias. 
one people. That's the day we'll remember what it is to be human. Knowing that each thing we do, a helping hand, a smile, makes us part of something big. That's humanity to me. I think for us to continue to evolve, we have to see the good in each other and focus on our similarities, how we're all alike. Love and tolerance is a code that I would like to live by and I hope to live by and I try to live by. At the end of the day, you know, we're all God's kids. Uh, we're gonna close the show with a, a look at the folks who make this show possible. Once again, I wanna thank Wendell Clark for joining us and uh, thank you for watching. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you wanna buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. RS Demolition and Excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip-outs. Looking to build a custom home? RS Excavating Services has the experience you need to build in established neighborhoods. For the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results, we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority, safety. Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate or visit rsdemolition.ca.